Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23 this evening. Again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Uh, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Thus far, uh, the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Let's ask for God's blessing now in the preaching of His Word. Oh, Father, as we uh, come once again to Your Word, we do uh, pray that You would grant us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear. Uh, Lord, we know that the truths of Scripture are spiritually discerned. Uh, they are discerned uh, by those uh, who have been renewed by your Spirit and those who have a, a humble heart of faith to receive them well. And Lord, we do, we do pray that you would help us to receive these things well because, uh, Lord, very often the things of the Scriptures are and the doctrines are given for our comfort. And when we resist uh, them, when we, when, when we resist the things that you have taught us for our comfort, Lord, we are are uh, merely uh, cleverly trying to deny uh, those very things which would do us good. Lord, help us to receive your word well, that we might receive a comfort in our souls. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our catechism asks the question, what are God's works of providence? And the answer that is given is that God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all of their actions. And the point of that question is simply to say uh, that everything that ever happens in this world happens by the will of God, that there is not a single thing that is outside of the sovereign control of God, that everything that happens has been planned by God from eternity, and that He, by His infinite wisdom and power, 
brings everything to pass as he has so foreordained. He foreordains it in the past with his decree, then in time through his works of providence, he actually causes that decree uh, to happen uh, in uh, in the world. Now, this applies to uh, everything. It's important to note that. It applies to things that appear to us to be random. It applies to us to things that appear to be evil and wicked. Even those things are under the sovereign command and control of God, and God uses everything uh, to accomplish His great purpose. Now, uh, at, even as this does apply to everything, it's important to note that there are some times where God will uh, so order things and bring things to pass that it becomes uh, even more clear or abundantly clear that God is the one who does them. So there are times when um, God's providence is controlling everything, but there are some times where there will be something that is so amazing or so unusual, so, um, so uh, strange by the way in which we think in terms of the, the, the ways of thinking of the world. And it works out so marvelously, so wondrously, and in such a wise way that we are led to, to, to marvel at the wisdom and providence of God, that we can see uh, clearly God is in control of all things by this or that thing uh, that has happened. And there is something like that that is happening here. David has just been anointed, as we saw uh, last week in the beginning part of chapter 16. David has been anointed, and yet the question now is, how can David possibly become king? How could he possibly become king? He is a lowly shepherd from an unknown family. He, he has a, a family that has no political power. He's the youngest even within that family. Saul is firmly in place, in a place of power at this point. And so the question is, how, how could David possibly rise to power? How, is, how could it possibly be? Um, with Saul, at least the people were looking for a king that they did not have. And there were all these providential things, as we saw um, in, in the weeks past, of how God made it clear that he had chosen uh, Saul. Uh, and, and yet th there, wasn't, there wasn't like a, a power that needed to be supplanted at that point. The people wanted a king and they, they saw Saul and he, fitted, he fit exactly what they were looking for. David is someone who does not fit what they're looking for from an unknown family in a situation where there's already a king. How is it that David can become the king? How is it that he will rise to power? And amazingly, what we see in this particular passage is that God uses evil spirits and the apparently random will of man to accomplish his purposes and to bring David into the court of Saul. It's an amazing thing to think about. How is it that David can have, have any sway or, or any power within the court of Saul? Well, the answer is, is God's going to send evil spirits and have people randomly choose to, to do random things. And all of it will end up with David being brought into the royal court. Uh, now, as we think about these providential acts of God, this is something that ought to be an encouragement to you, that everything that God uh, purposes to accomplish will come to pass. And one of the ways in which we know that from the scriptures is, is when we see things like this. If even the evil spirits end up only serving his will, and if even the random acts of man only serve his will, then surely, surely God will bring every purpose to pass because there is clearly none who can stop that great will. Now, we're going to look at this passage under two headings. Uh, looking first only at verse 14 as we consider the evil spirit that comes upon Saul. So remember there's, in this passage I'm saying there's two things that God uses to accomplish his purposes, the evil spirits and then the, the random uh, will of man. And so we'll look at the, the evil spirits in verse 14 and then the random will of man. 
uh, as God uses it in verses 15 through the end of the chapter. So look at me again then at verse 14. Um, verse 14, I didn't read the, the previous verse, but it is significant to consider the way in which verse 14 is related to verse uh, 13. Uh, David is anointed in verses 1 through 13, but then we are told that uh, particularly with, uh, uh, with regard to David, after he's anointed in verse 13, that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David from that day forward. So the Spirit of the Lord uh, in verse 13 comes upon David, but then the Spirit of the Lord is also at the same time being removed from Saul. So there's, there's something of a, of a switch that is happening here. Um, you remember that uh, when Saul was chosen, Samuel had actually said that the Spirit of God would come upon him. We looked at how this was not for the sake of conversion with regard to Saul, but it was for the sake of equipping him for office. So the idea here is that Saul was someone that needed the Spirit of God in order to fulfill his office and his duties. And now, uh, as this kingdom is being ripped from Saul and given to David, so too the Spirit whereby Saul could become a qualified person for the throne, uh, is now being removed from him and it is being given uh, to David. And what we are then told in the text is that there are, it's not just that the spirit is leaving Saul, the spirit is leaving Saul so that an evil or distressing spirit, as it's translated, can come and take the place uh, of the, the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the text translates this as a distressing spirit. Um, in a few places. However, it's important to note that the, the word for distressing here is just the basic word for evil. Um, there's, there's, it's the, the, the most common word for evil. It's a very common word. So really what this is saying is that in the place of the Holy Spirit, there is an evil spirit that is coming upon Saul. Uh, now, the first question we need to ask about this evil spirit is, what is it? What, what is this evil spirit? And, and I think we're, we're to understand this to be nothing other than a demon. Uh, you remember angels and demons are spiritual beings without bodies. Angels are good spirits, and demons are evil spirits who follow Satan. And so here we have uh, a, a, an evil spirit or a, a demon who has come to torment uh, Saul. And this is uh, in the place of the Holy Spirit who has now just left uh, Saul. And we then understand that his condition now is, is of course, greatly worsening. And this is, this is what will begin um, the, the series of events that will eventually lead to David coming into the royal court. Now, as we think about the significance of this evil spirit coming. Um, it's important to note that this is, this is um, uh, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 12 help us a lot here. Uh, you remember in Matthew chapter 12, uh, the Pharisees are accusing Christ and they're saying that he's only able to cast out demons by the prince of demons. And so they, they see him cast out demons and they say, well, this is clearly the work of Satan. Then Christ goes on to speak and says that, you know, uh, if Satan's divided against himself, well, that means it's the end of Satan's kingdom. But, um, but further, um, I'm actually the one who is bind, binding Satan, and that is the, the way in which I'm able to plunder his goods. And that's the basic teaching of what Christ says. But then towards the end of Matthew 12, he also gives uh, more more instruction with regard to the casting out of demons. And he gives this, this, um, this parable about a man who has evil spirits removed from him. And they go, it goes into a waterless place, tries to find rest. You remember how, uh, how the, the, the text goes, it can't find rest. So therefore it decides to return to the, the person from which it came. And it sees everything cleaned and in order. 
and therefore it takes seven spirits more evil and wicked than itself, and it goes and inhabits the person, and the result is that the, the latter case, the latter condition of that person is worse uh, than the first. Um, and there is something similar that's happening here, something applicable with regard to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The point of that teaching from Christ is to speak about the, the devastating effect of receiving some benefit from the gospel whereby the influence in one way or another of evil spirits is put at bay, but then never actually being converted and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you have some sort of reformation of life whereby you're freed even from some shackles of, of sin and are able to you know, overcome the influence of, uh, of demons and Satan in some way in, in your life, but then turn aside, then what often happens is that the last condition will be worse because there will be an even greater stronghold that Satan will have uh, in a person's life. And this is what is being uh, described here and what's happening with uh, Saul. Uh, he loses the spirit of God and thus becomes susceptible to the influence of evil spirits. And the result is that the last condition is worse than the first. Now, what is required to, in order to avoid what Christ is speaking about with regard to the last condition being worse than the first is not to, when an evil spirit comes, he doesn't find the house, so to speak, of your soul empty, but he finds it filled with the spirit. And that, that is the, the, the great antidote to, to the influence of Satan and demons is to be filled with uh, the spirit of God. And now Saul is, has the spirit of God leave him and, therefore, uh, and uh, therefore these evil spirits are coming to him. Now this predicament that Saul is in, uh, this devastating judgment you could call it, uh, illustrates a broader point which is uh, a general spiritual point that whenever we receive benefits from God and then after we receive those benefits from God, turn away from him in disobedience our condition will always be worse than, than if we had never received the benefits at all. The, the, the idea is that turning away from God after receiving benefits from Him in some way leads to a worse condition for us. And that's what happens with Saul. Of course, he's received great benefits from God, great and glorious benefits. He has become king. The Spirit of God did come upon him and equip him, him for this. Uh, he had all of these great benefits, many people serving him, and yet uh, now, because of his disobedience, he is in a worse condition. Uh, it's important to note even further with regard to the influence of this evil spirit as he's being tormented uh, by the evil spirit that Ultimately, Saul is responsible for it. Saul is responsible for what is happening to him with regard to the influence of these spirits. You remember um, that in the recent chapters of 1 Samuel, that there have been a number of judgments that have been pronounced against Saul, and it's, it's been for things related to his own disobedience. God has rejected Saul twice, both in chapters 13 and 15. Uh, Saul has shown himself to be disobedient, and he, he is told that he will lose the kingdom. Now, in the context of all of these judgments, all of these ways in which Saul is, is shown to be disobedient to God, we have recorded no real repentance at all. There is no repentance that Saul offers at all. At the end of chapter 15, we see that he still cares only about what other people think about him. He, he, his, his fear of the people is what caused him to disobey. And then at the end, all he cares about, even after he recognizes 
that his disobedience came because of the fear of the people. He, he asked merely that Samuel honor him in front of the people. All he cares about is what people think of him uh, outwardly. And therefore, we see that he is uh, merely continuing on his path of disobedience. And the evil spirit comes upon Saul only after the disobedience. Only after the disobedience. So it's after Saul has turned away from God, the spirit leaves him, and then the, it clears the way for this evil spirit uh, to come against him. This, this is really the, the continuation of the downward descent of Saul, which began with his disobedience and will end uh, getting worse and worse. Uh, as you know, with regard to the, the tragic end of the life of Saul, it will end with him consorting with a witch at the end of his life in great terror, and then him ultimately being killed uh, uh, on the battlefield along with all of his sons. Uh, such is the, the tragic warning uh, for all those who turn away uh, from God. Now, it's important to, to remember as you think about, as we think about these principles as it, they are illustrated in the life of Saul, um, that if you are a member of the church, you also have received great gifts from God. Uh, you, like Saul, have received very many benefits from God. And if you turn away from God, uh, the result will be you ending up in a worse state than if you had never made a profession of faith in the first place. Uh, that, that is the point that is being made in this passage and how can it, it, can, it can be applied to you. Uh, Saul would have been better off if he had never become king. He would have been better off if he would have never attempted even to serve the Lord because um, he is, he is showing, showing himself in this passage and in many passages as we'll see moving forward to be an apostate. And the state of apostasy is worse than the state of unbelief. If you have made a commitment to the Lord, to have you professed faith in Him uh, outwardly, you are to serve the Lord. You are to serve the Lord. There is a warning against those uh, who would uh, profess faith, pro profess to believe in the Lord, and then to turn away from Him. And so this is the evil spirit uh, that comes upon Saul. You'll notice then that this, um, again, sets in course, in motion, a number of events that are, will eventually be used to bring David into the court of, of Saul. And what happens in verses 15 and following is that the, the people who are his servants, they, they come and they say, well, look, there's clearly this evil spirit from God that's troubling you. And then they propose a solution to Saul. They say, you know, let's, uh, let's find somebody who is, uh, who's good at playing music and music is soothing. And so if this person's able to play music, then it'll soothe you. And therefore, when this evil spirit comes upon you, uh, then you, you will uh, not have to deal with it. It won't be as distressing and you'll be able to, to get past it. And that is what they, they end up, uh, they end up recommending to, uh, to Saul. Now, this is where we see in verses 15 and 16, this, this, uh, this proposed solution uh, by the servants an incredible missed opportunity with regard to Saul. Um, and it shows not just the spiritual blindness of Saul, but also the spiritual blindness of Saul's servants as well. Uh, had Samuel been with him to this point, you remember at, at the end of uh, 1 Samuel 15, we are told that uh, Samuel will never see Saul again. Uh, had Samuel been with Saul, I think things would have gone quite differently. Uh, Saul, however, had chosen men for himself who were not like Samuel. He had chosen men for himself uh, who were thinking about spiritual problems only from a worldly perspective. And the blindness is seen from this very suggestion that you, that you would think that a, a person to play the harp is the main thing that Saul needed. Uh, this is, is a spiritual problem, and ultimately the solution that Saul needs 
must be spiritual. It is a, it, there's a spiritual solution that must be given to this particular spiritual problem. The servants do not understand that the root problem, the entire problem with regard to Saul is his disobedience. It is his disobedience and his sins. That is why the Spirit of God left him. The Spirit of God leaves him because of his disobedience and his failure to repent. That is further the reason why the evil spirit is there in the first place. Why is Saul in this position? It's because of the evil spirit. And this is, it may be helpful even to, to think about this in terms of um, contrasting this with David. Uh, David is, is caught in great sin, of course, with, with uh, Bathsheba and what he did to Uriah as a result of that sin. He compounds sin upon sin. But uh, what is David's response to that sin? It's repentance. It is a very, very deep repentance. And you'll notice one of the things that we see in Psalm 51, which is a record of David's repentance, is he prays, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not allow to happen to me the thing that happened to Saul. And God hears that prayer and the Spirit is not taken from him. Therefore, there is no possibility of David having an evil spirit like Saul. And why is that? Because the solution to the spiritual problem of disobedience is repentance. The spiritual problem needs a spiritual solution. The, the servants, however, they see the spiritual problem and they think worldly solution. They think if only, if only we have music that can be soothing. Clearly he is distressed. We can see with our eyes that he's distressed. And therefore, if we can give him music that is soothing, he will no longer be distressed. Now, in some ways, outwardly, that's true. Music can be soothing. And even we are told in the very text itself that uh, David plays and Saul is soothed. But you'll notice here that the, the root problem is not addressed with such solutions. It is not addressed with such solutions. It is a, a thin attempt to address uh, the symptoms of the disease, but it cannot touch the disease itself. Uh, playing harps will never remove an evil spirit from a person. And now the reason why I'm, I'm uh, going into this in, in some detail is because there is something similar that happens today uh, with regard to the solutions that the world seeks to spiritual problems. Now, it, we're not to be surprised by this. The world does not know God, and therefore when it's confronted with spiritual problems, it, it, it cannot but think of worldly solutions. The, the world cannot but think of worldly solutions to spiritual problems. It doesn't even recognize the spiritual world. And uh, so we're not, to be, uh, we're not to be shocked by that. Uh, the problem, though, comes when um, there is a temptation for Christians to, uh, to adopt the framework of the world and Christians to try to, uh, to address spiritual problems with, with, worldly, uh, w w with worldly solutions. Now, um, an example of this is uh, a person who uh, may be easily prone to anger or to fits of rage, or, to, or who could legitimately be described as lacking self-control. And um, we're told in, in the world today that if a person has these characteristics to a high degree, then that person is ill, that there's an, that there's an illness with the person, and therefore there is a solution to those sorts of problems uh, that is worldly. There is an illness, and the world can treat illnesses, and therefore the solutions that are, are uh, offered are things like therapy and medicine. So the idea is that if, if there are certain things that the Bible calls sins, if it's, you know, proneness to anger, uh, lack of self-control, fits of rage, that sort of thing, the Bible just says that's sin. Uh, now, the solution that is then proposed is something that may be able to, to paper over the symptoms. It may be able to give some temporary relief, 
But the recognition that we have to that we have to have is this: that if there is something that the Bible calls a sin, if there's something that the Bible calls a sin, the solution that will actually address the problem is repentance. That is that is the solution that addresses the problem. Saul tries to address the problem with music, and he does get temporary relief from his symptoms. David addresses the problem with repentance. He addresses the problem with repentance, and he is the one that receives deliverance. Uh, now, that then is what uh, the, the, the servants suggest. Now, it's important to note here that um, as we think about the foolishness of the suggestion, uh, it's destined to fail. Like, there, there's no chance it's going to work. Um, we know from the story that it won't work if you know what happens with 1 Samuel. Um, Saul will eventually try to kill David anyway, even while he's playing the music. So there will be temporary relief sometimes. And so we, there's this plan that appears destined to fail. Um, the servants could have suggested anything in this regard. This is not like the, a wise thing for them to do. And it appears random. They, they, you know, here's something that may work. And they just randomly put it forward. And, uh, and yet, this is the thing that leads David to be able to come into the court of Saul. There's an evil spirit that comes. His servants suggest something very foolish that has no chance of working. Then randomly, one of them says, oh, well, if we're talking about music, I've actually heard someone play that's very good. Enter David. And then Saul says, okay. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.